Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek. Joining as always by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. and Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast, a podcast by the fans, for the fans. And by gosh, have we been hitting that home... Um, it's just, it's time to brag. And, and I'm not bragging about me. I could brag about you, but not in this instance. I'm bragging about our listeners, followers on Twitter, usually one in the same. Um, we, 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 you know, forged ahead with our idea of the, by the fans, for the fans, interviewing a, a, a fan of each individual team. Um, we got active with it this week, doing a lot of interviews in the evenings, uh, with our listeners, and I just have to say, like we always have talked about that we have the greatest listeners. Dude, <laughs> these people, these dudes have been crushing it in these interviews. I can't wait to share it with people. So we've we've met a, a few listeners outside of the cast and been great guys, as expected. Uh, you know, just on Twitter, you interact, and you're like, oh, these are all seem, all seem like great people very knowledgeable people and it was just hammered home with these interviews that is exactly right i mean like and i had kind of had this similar conversation with a lot of people i interviewed you know our goal was to get a a a fan a real fan of that team you know whether it be michigan wisconsin nebraska whatever we definitely hit home with that then i we were hoping me and you i mean uh, that they would be a little bit more fan and less fanatic you know where it gets to be so far, every single so far has so just good, been right? A fan, they've been good dudes that you not only are you know we're proud to call them listeners uh, that they're fun to interact on Twitter. I think they would be good people to have a cocktail with, absolutely in real life. Yes, and I maybe it's not as rare as we think, or maybe you just got to put in a little bit of effort to find those specific people. I don't know. Well, I mean, you you think of Twitter and you think a bunch of yahoos, but in reality, I guess that's not the case, right? Well, I really think, I mean, the general consensus is when you get into that conversation, the fan bases think, you know, it's the smaller percentage yahoos that are the loudest. Um, It's not just your fan base or my fan base. I'm starting to think maybe, many fan bases fall under that category. Maybe a good chunk of, of the fan base where it'd actually be pretty good people to hang out with. I don't know. Yeah, one of the great things about doing this podcast is, you know, previous to it, a line I fan, I just hated everybody. Uh, bleep those Michigan fans, bleep those Ohio State fans. But when you really start interacting, you know, they're they're all good people. Everyone, each fan base is quirky and weird in its own way. Yes. But when, you, that when you really get to know them, it, like we we could be in any of these fan bases and get along just fine. I I'm I can't believe I might agree with that, but mm-hmm. I, I think I, I do. know. I know it's weird, right? I don't know about every single one, but but you know most of them, yes, yeah. Twelve out of fourteen. I was twelve out of fourteen is yeah. a pretty good number. Um, so yeah, I, I hope I'm gushing enough. Uh, you know who you are, who I've interviewed with you. We can't we we can't name them off all here, but we are gonna name the three that we're going to do uh, that we've already recorded the interviews earlier this week. And then Kurt's going to splice it together with the magic he does. So first up is going to be Michigan state with our guy, Dougie Tutter did a fantastic job. Next will be Nebraska zone, Jim in Minnesota. Jim is 
in Hawaii right now, vacation with the family. I promised we would get it loaded so he could have it to listen to on his way back. A lot of travel in there. And then last but not least, least will be Michigan with Jordan Eggleston. Uh, just did that earlier this evening. He did. I mean, honestly, every single one of them did a great job. I I don't want to oversell it, but hopefully not just the people, the, the fan bases will check these interviews out. Hopefully his best case scenario, you know, other fan bases will check out the interviews. As did well. we just affect our volunteer job security here? Like, could they just take over the show and That's, just do what we do? We we very much could be creating. Yes. Yeah, we, we could be hanging the noose to ourselves possibly. But okay, let's move on to some housekeeping. We ready here? Absolutely. Housekeeping. No, thank you. Sleeping. Housekeeping. Okay, Brett McMurphy again. Great friend of the show. We love him. <laughs> Stadium Sports, last year, this is him tweeting, last year when I contacted all 130 FBS athletic directors, 72% wanted an 18 playoff, only 11% wanted more than eight teams. Clearly, they decided bigger was better in going to 12 games, expect the 12-team playoff format to start 2023 season. Wow. That's, and I guess I knew that before. I remember him tweeting that before. And probably if you go back in time, I mean, just the general thought process was the next, the next natural progression would be to eight teams. Right. So that's part of where that. So comes do you from. think, do you think those ADs are disappointed? I don't um, think so. I, I guess another thing would be, what was the point of uh, asking the ADs any of this stuff? Because I mean, I, I know that Brett McMurphy isn't the one that's, you know, the driving force behind the 12 team playoff, but didn't really make much of a difference uh, sharing any kind of that information. Um, I will say this, let me ask you, um, any, about anything can happen, and Twitter will blow up over it, you know? Um, a guy being in a Waffle House has been all over Twitter. Yeah, I saw that today. Which is pretty funny stuff. Anyways, um, you, you haven't really seen massive meltdowns since this was announced, have you? No, I haven't. I don't think I've seen any meltdowns, and I, I guess that's not surprising. Everybody wants more all the time, right? It's not going to stop at 12, by the way. It's going to expand from there. I agree, too. Because um, everyone, you know, I said this on the last, I think it was the last cast. Well, two wasn't good because what if the three guy gets screwed? Well, then we go to four. Well, what if the number five guy gets screwed? Well, then we go to eight. What if the nine guy gets screwed? Blah, blah. It's, it's just going to keep going. Okay. So I know we talked on this on the last podcast. We're obviously not going to talk quite as much on it. But there, there's just, I've listened to other podcasts. I've listened to uh, national rate. There's a couple other things to to explore real quick if if we can. Number one, did you know that Notre Dame cannot get one of the four buys? Yeah, we talked about that okay. last cast. Uh, so I think that's pretty unique. That's, the, so that may be the biggest bombshell of all this. A little bit, but then I've heard somebody else talk about how. But I mean, how many playoffs out of ten will Notre Dame make? Hmm. They'll make. Out of ten, I would say half anyway. Oh gosh, I but think probably it's more be, like eight, yes. six or eight. Yeah, I, I would go closer. I was going to say eight. Okay. I would go cl- so, and then a majority of those eight, let's say that they get in, they'll probably get a home game. So from their point of view, they're like, yeah, we'll just take the gate, the extra gate. Boy, that's a good point. Because <laughs> so like, they know they're gonna, they're not going to win at all. <laughs> I okay, that actually you fed me right into. Well, let me let me get to that. I I will get okay. to that. But and you just kind of talked about the next point I'm going to make, but like. We, we know how this is going to go, right? The fifth team is going to be pissed yeah. that they don't get the buy. Of course. Like, it's, that's going to be Meltdown City right there. Maybe even more so is the ninth team because you didn't get the home game. Sure. So 
think about, you know, there might be people might think there's a big difference between the ninth team and the fifth, you know, because the five, fifth, six, seven, eight get there's oh, not right. Okay. I agree with you. I'm just saying there might not be as much of a debate that the ninth team should be ranked by the fourth team. But by the time you get to the, you know, or the fifth team, excuse me, by the time you get to the sixth team, seventh, definitely eighth. It's going to be razor thin between eight and nine. The difference between not getting that extra home gate, it's huge. Yes. There is going to be conspiracy theories and people so pissed. That's going to be an uproar. That's going to be an uproar. We're going to have three different – because the last one is, of course, the difference between a 12th and 13th team. Right. So we used to just have one uproar between – the third team not getting in right. over the Which, second. Which, by the way, rarely happened. Right. Okay. Then the next one was the fifth team not getting in over the fourth, right? We're going to have an uproar between four and five, eight and nine, and 12 and 13 all wrapped up. That's a great point. I'm just saying this is, is it possible? This is the most controversial, which is okay. Maybe that's the genius of it. Maybe that's why they did it because that's what gets people talking about college football more than anything. Um, you know, I, I will entertain the idea that I simply don't know how it's going to affect the, uh, regular season there. It's a possibility that it could actually enhance the regular season in that in, in, if, in some ways. Yes. If we get more big time matchups for, for non-conference. Yeah. Like the, the, the teams that are fighting to get in, in that eight to 12 slot that you normally would just toss out the window. Cause they're not top four. Those are going to be big games now. Okay. So uh, that's something that, that I think is really interesting. Um, okay. Kirk Ferentz, all right, had some comments about the 12-team the playoff, all right? A, a certain fan base uh, then had issues with the comments. It, it was a certain uh, Big Ten fan base that had it. I, we're trying to keep the positive vibe going on how we feel about Big Ten Nation, so I, I don't want to single anybody out. But, you know, I read the interview that 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 coach Ferentz did okay obviously i'm biased right i i i'm a big believer in kirk Ferentz, so i'm probably going to defend him nine times out of ten if not every time so what he was you know talking about is okay not every team is going to make the playoff right we we only are going to have 12 teams make the playoff out of 130 teams, right? Just called 130, right? Now, we already know 65, 70 teams aren't even going to make bowls. We'll just throw them out, okay? But I'm saying teams 13 through 50, 60, okay? Um, they they mo- probably all had r- winning records, okay? Um, I guess what I'm driving at is that if we thought that the focus on four teams was bad in the last several years... The focus on only the teams that are going to make the the top 12 is going to be because people like Braden Gall are going to have the license to be like, well, now we've got the 12. This is a bigger collection of teams because it's not going to be just 12. I mean, you'll get down It'll to the last be like 20 teams, probably the 20, 25 down teams. to the last couple of weeks that you're really paying close attention to, I think. So that could that's something that could enhance the regular season. So that's yeah, something we have it, it, to, okay. I mean, I think that's a, that's one of the big positives of this. Yes. Okay. The negative on the other side of that is the 12 are set teams, 13 and down are done. They're dead to us. Yeah. That's but how they they're were already going, dead to us. 
it's going to be more dead because I mean they weren't dead to me. They were dead to the national media. Wasn't dead to me either. Yeah. Another thing that's not been dead to me, and I've I've gotten you know pretty puffy chesty on this on the podcast. So I'm going to do it again. I like bowl games. Okay, yeah, I like gonna be less gambling less. on bowl games. Yeah. I like watching the bowl games while I'm gambling. You know, on what's them. my favorite thing was bowl week. Remember bowl right. week? Like the 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 crappier bowls leading up to the good bowls. I I used to love that because at work nothing was happening. So during the day I could just flip on the TV and it was they were the greatest work days ever. Absolutely, loved it. Yeah, it's going away. It's so I hear people say on Twitter. I hear people say on podcasts. Is it really that big a deal that we're going to lose a couple bowls? Okay. Yeah, it's more than a couple. Okay. So, number one, let's say we lose, I've, I've heard like 10. Let's just say I've heard eight to 10 was okay. the number. Let's say that... eight. Let's say eight. Okay. okay. Is my life going to be extremely negatively impacted negatively if those eight go? No. But I'm going to miss them. Yeah. I'm go- I like watching my six and two six and six teams. And by the way, with a four point spread, I know nothing about these teams, <laughs> and I throw money on, and I'm wa- I like that. I enjoy that. And there's a lot of national media types that just cannot stand that many people making bowl games. It's fine, don't watch, but I'm gonna watch. And, and I heard I won't name him, but I heard him say, you know, it's so tiring after the regular season. I really liked my break. Now we're gonna go right into the what? twelve team playoff and it's going to be it's going to be no break for me i mean i'm i'm oh <laughs> sorry for you mr sports writer oh my god i bought he wanted crap. a break that's what he said oh, that's right. hilarious okay. so that that's one thing now the point i'm trying to make is i i don't believe six or seven or eight or nine bowl games getting chopped off is that big a deal but i think you've already kind of alluded to it they're not gonna stop there the only thing yeah. that's going to matter is these 12 games and what i think kirk ferentz was trying to get across in that interview is something that quite frankly maybe you just don't understand unless you were a person on one of those teams that went i don't know nine and three eight and four you had a couple close losses but you got the reward of going to a bull trip haven't this isn't all these exercises that we do isn't it about taking better care of the student athletes in this case, if you were a member of a seven and five, eight and four, and nine and three team, the NCA or the the system that was set up did take care of these athletes by putting them on a bull trip. Right. Now we're going to take it away from them. Correct. Isn't that the exact opposite of thought, what I thought this everyone seemed... wanted to give to the athlete? Now we're taking from the athlete. Am, am well, I, am I am I... outraged. And now, ironically, I am kind of outraged on this because. Those, those, I just, I don't know how those bowl games are going to survive. I hope they no, do. No, they're not. They're going away. I, I hope in fact, they do. Eventually, all bowl games are gone. That's what. That's what you think. I think so. I mean, and they is can, that not, it, not, And I don't know if I completely agree with that. But let's. Well, let's okay. Hold for, on. Hold on. I, I still not, think they'll do like Sugar Bowl, Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl. Name the big ones. They'll have those as like the semifinals. So th- those aren't going to go away. Right. But the idea of a true bowl game is gone eventually. Not now. It will be. I mean, you, you have you ever had fun watching the Alamo Bowl, Holiday Bowl? Loved. Loved. Holiday is my f- my favorite non-Rose Bowl bowl game was the Holiday Bowl I, throughout my whole lifespan. And then there's been just the wacky, you know, swack versus whack bowl games that wind up being 42 to 45. They're a shootout. People are are tweeting and talking about those bowl games all night long. 
we're not going to miss those at all. Like I, I will. I, I guess. Okay, I will too. I guess my point is like I wonder if the same people that are tweeting and the same people that are that are podcasting saying it's no big deal that these bowl games get wrong get uh, get axed. I don't know if they really even understand the weight of what they're talking about. Like we're going to miss those games. So they don't understand the weight. I don't. They don't think beyond. The, the, they what don't they, think five seconds before they tweet, do they? I don't think they do. Like, I don't blame, you know, you know, hot dude 47 with 127 followers. Not, not that your follower number means how smart you are. But, like, I don't, I'm just saying I don't care if those people. Um, right. But when it's people with a national voice. Right. That, that carries more, quote, unquote, weight. And, and I, I just I don't think they, they get it. No. It doesn't matter, though, because this is not for me. Okay, moving right along. Tom Deanhart, he's one of my favorites. Uh, he is. Okay, Tom, Tom Deanhart is. Okay. Oh, I love Tommy Deanhart. Right. He's fantastic. Okay. So he he's on the Purdue beat, does a great job. Used to be Big Ten Network, went over to Purdue. Love Tommy Dean. He's he. Uh, this is a tweet from him two days ago. Coach Jeff Brom announces defensive staff structure that will feature three co-coordinators. Recruiting staff and GAs also announced three co-coordinators on defense, all on defense. By the way, they have co-coordinators on offense, too. Correct, correct. And, and, it, and Brom himself. Correct. So they have three coordinators on each side of the ball, six total coordinators. I guess at this point, if you're on the staff and you're not a coordinator. Yeah, well, what? Uh-oh. <laughs> the X is coming down soon, right? Give, give your, let's focus on the D, the three D coordinators. Give, give, your, give your thoughts. Well, Okay, I, I'm not a fan of the co-defensive coordinator. Yeah. I feel like if there's multiple multiple people in charge, there's nobody in charge. Somebody has to be in charge. Somebody has to be in charge. I've always hated the co thing. It just always annoys I know why they do it. It looks good on the resume. The coach is trying to help them out. It's part of like, if you come here, I'll give you a co. But it's just. It gets watered it, down when you go. Like, you understood sometimes if you were giving rec- uh, a recognition to somebody by giving them the coat, even if everybody knew their, who the actual leader was, it was still like a, we're, we're, we have you in mind to start moving you up type of deal is how I took it. You I know? guess, but as long as, as long as somebody is absolutely in charge. But here's the, here's the, the flip side of that. It, maybe not so much, well, I guess it could apply to both sides of the ball. One guy's having a bad game calling plays. You know what? I'm just, I, I stink. Someone else take over. I'm terrible. Yeah, that's that's quite the take. Um, all right, here's what I was gonna say. Uh, what percentage? Why is that quite the take? Uh, I just never thought about that. Maybe that's an actual positive for it. That's what I mean. Right. Okay. I, I, I had I hadn't thought of any positives to it. You came up with a positive. That's why I'm I'm shocked. Good job. <laughs> I, I haven't. Wow, I, I haven't been able to find any silver lining in this. You just found. I, one, I don't so know I'm... if you know me very well, but I'm a very positive person. <laughs> yeah, that's very... Extremely positive all the time. Um, okay, look, what percentage of Division One football coaches have a very healthy ego, do you think? Uh, right around, it's about 100. <laughs> I don't know if it's exactly, but it's, let's just call it 100, okay. okay? So that's, I just can't imagine three of those egos. Like, when I was at Iowa, the two defensive coordinators were Bobby Elliott, God rest his soul, and Norm Parker, God rest his soul. We knew who the alpha dog was in the room when it came to leading the defense and calling the defensive plays. I can't imagine it being any other way. 
because that's like at some point, because what happens is all of these coaches have input to the game plan, right? And then it goes to the coordinators and then the coordinators bring it to the head coach. I mean, all the coaches are in there, but, but then it's up to the defensive coordinator to make, sometimes it's like, well, can, can that player do it? You know, can, can we leave him on an Island with that receiver? Eventually the the defensive coordinator has to make that call and say, yes, we can play man coverage this week. We can do it. I don't understand if, because if one guy, the, the, if one of the co-coordinators is a secondary coach and he's like, yes, he can do it. But the linebacker coach, who's also a co-coordinator is like, ain't no way that kid can do it. That's the fight right there. I just don't see how that doesn't happen. Ooh, I don't know. Ten out of the twelve regular season games. Yeah, but it, so again, I th- I think there's probably still an alpha dog. I think this is just pretty much a name only. Which so ma- maybe we're making too much out of this. Maybe I just maybe. when I That's saw actually it, a really good point. When I saw it, I was horrified though. I will say. <laughs> I think that. most Purdue fans were too. The other thing I thought of I don't are, know are if- three coordinators better than Diaco. <laughs> I think, I think about anybody's better than Diaco. Half a coordinator better than Diaco, that, maybe. You could go the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is the best analogy, but this is just what I kept thinking of. Is remember in something about Mary when Ben Stiller's character picks up that hitchhiker and he's like, seven minute abs, man, seven. You know, and then Ben Stiller's like, well, unless somebody comes out with six minute abs, you know, and, and like, it's like, it's like Jeff Brown was like, you know what? We're doing six minute abs. We're going to go, we're going to go even further down and just see if it works. That's a good analogy. I okay. like that. Close. I had forgotten about that. So I remembered that scene, but I didn't remember it was from, there's something about something Mary. About Mary. Yeah. 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 Might have to watch good that. stuff. It's been a while since I've seen that. Okay. Movie. Well, that's yeah. all I got. So I'm going to uh, toss it over well, to you though. Cause you got something, right? Well, yeah. I mean, just kind of topical stuff, but, um, it's, it's been a couple days now, so Twitter has calmed down. But uh, Scott Frost got in a little bit of Twitter hot water. Um, you know, essentially, I don't know where he was at. He was at some sort of Nebraska function or something, and he got— Quarterback you know, club type of thing. Yeah, something. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but he got interviewed. If you read the—and and he was being asked about the transfer portal. Yeah. Okay, so the background is, for anybody that doesn't know this, but Nebraska-born and raised Scott Frost actually— Started uh, at at uh, went Stanford. to college in Stanford, yeah. was there for a couple years. Transferred, you know, way back in the '90s to Nebraska. Obviously, wound up being starting quarterback, winning a national title. Okay, so he transferred, and it worked out very well for him. Yeah, obviously. Um, he then was asked about the transfer portal. I think. Can he's, I interject though? Yeah. Different time. Like he he actually had he was penalized for transferring. Good point. Okay, fair continue. Enough. Fair enough. So he is, he is asked about the transfer portal. I would say almost every Division One coach that somebody is interested in interviewing has been asked about the transfer portal. He has every right in the world to have an opinion about the transfer portal. I know he transferred, okay? But, you know, it's a shades of gray thing. Not every transfer is the same. And because yeah. it was a different time, it was a bigger deal that he transferred back yeah. then. You right. know, now people are doing it willy-nilly. And that's what he's pretty much talking about in the interview. Again, if you read the whole thing, which I did read the whole thing, yeah, it, I, it, I don't remember word for word, of course. Of course, but not. like it, it didn't sound that bad. What it he did said. not. No. You probably, like me, agreed with ninety percent yes, of what he I said. Yes, I did. Okay, Absolutely. and I, I think most coaches did. There was a couple times when I'm like, eh, maybe you kind of push the envelope there, but any for the most part, I agree with him. And when he pushed the envelope 
to which he shouldn't have that I believe, and I know I'm kind of talking out of two sides of my mouth, but he obviously was eluding to Luke McCaffrey. Right. Um, I think you just got to leave that one be, man. You, yes, you, gotta you do. Be, you, you have, that, was, that was his guy. You, you have been, I think it's fair to say, you've been struggling to come up with the wins since you've been at Nebraska. You got to stop poking the bear yeah. on the negative press yes. side of things because it's just going to, it's going to happen every time, man. You know, right. like, it's gonna like people are stuff. waiting yeah. for it now yes. because you've done it. So, and then on top of it, the McCaffrey family, I mean, this is a pretty powerful American family in the, in the, in the football world. Correct. Oh yes. Okay. I mean, in terms Dad, of family, it's, it's right up there, right? I mean, the Mannings are higher. Mannings are higher, yeah, but it's one of the it's one of the tops. It's one of the tops. I mean, Easy Ed played for the Broncos forever. It seemed like his son is is one of the premier players in the NFL. So once they saw that, they took to Twitter and and roasted Frost. And and yeah. I'm not saying they were right. I mean, to be honest with you, you have this feeling where you see Christian McCaffrey doing it, and 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 I think there's a couple other McCaffreys, and you're like, are we all 14 years old? I mean, you have that thought go through your head. Or at least there was that thought, but also like. You know, he obviously Scott Frost left himself open because he had transferred. So it was kind of an easy target. So, yeah. OK, it's probably like 14 year old type of stuff. Yeah. Got got there. Yeah. Um, And then the one thing that I believe I learned, I don't know if this is 100 percent fact, because I don't believe I don't know what anything is 100 no. percent fact anymore. But it sure seems like Luke McCaffrey transferred to Louisville and was told he could compete. And play quarterback. Correct. They very quickly said, "No, we're going to switch you to wide receiver." I mean, it does. If that went down like that, right? It, that's some BS. So I don't know if it definitely did, but there's a lot of smoke around that right now. So you have to consider that as a possibility. I went on record last podcast, or was it two podcasts? I don't remember. I can't keep track anymore. Um, as kind of criticizing the McCaffrey fan, like, wh- where is the guidance coming from? But maybe, maybe I was wrong. I, I'm going to retract that right now because maybe. They were being told he's going to get a shot at quarterback. And they and just then, got lied to. Yeah. Maybe. Any, anybody's susceptible to a lie. I um, mean, could you imagine a coaching staff lying to a player to get him on campus? I blew, would. I can't imagine that would ever happen. Doubt that's ever happened. Um, and then, so now he transferred to Rice. And I think it's there's some like friends of the family there. And maybe part of that is because they trust them. They know that that coach right. is not going to lie to him. So let's go to Rice and see if we can play quarterback. One little tidbit, though. I don't think Scott Frost had ever said you have to transfer to wide receiver. He could have stayed at Nebraska yeah. and continued to battle as I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just saying there, he never got switched to wide receiver while he was still at Nebraska. No, he certainly didn't. So although maybe he just kind of saw the writing on the wall a little bit. Although but. if we go back to the you know, the sphere of influence and and uh you know guidance, that's probably what he should have done. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just you my know opinion. What? You know what I think he really should do? What's that? Play wide receiver. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, like, he should have stayed at Nebraska. And played wide receiver. And played wide receiver. I thought you meant stay at Nebraska and keep giving quarterback. No. Stay okay. at Nebraska, move to wide receiver. Very athletic because, guy. Because, I mean, you're moving down in the college football world, going from Nebraska to Louisville, and now you move down again, going from Louisville to Rice. I've been to Rice Stadium. There's, yeah. there's a little FYI about me. There you go. All right, then the last kind of one, which was the other, you know, college football bombshell, if you will, is Arizona State's in uh, a little bit of hot water. Are you surprised about this? What I, I can tell you have an angle at the question. I what a do little you bit. Okay, go. I mean, I'm a little surprised, I guess, about Herm Edwards. 
Because I, I like Herm. He doesn't seem like the guy that would do that. No, but also maybe he's just one of those, you know, if I don't know, that's fine. As long as I don't know about it, go ahead and do what you got to do. But Antonio Pierce is on their staff is yeah. what I'm getting at. Okay. He's not the most savory of individuals. Okay. Interesting. You just Google the guy. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, maybe Herm Edwards heard a lot of the press clip clippings and things that were said about him and it stuck a burn in his saddle and he's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to get this football program going to show those people. I don't know. I'm, I'm conspiracy theory that a little bit, but long story short, what's interesting is that it is considered uh, common knowledge that the info that came out to hang Herm Edwards and now pretty much the entire program, it came in, it came from internally. There's, yes. Oh, somebody ratted them out. Absolutely. And it so ha- there was a lot of attrition from the staff. Um, seemed like a lot of bad feelings with that attrition. They were kind of forced out as opposed to left on their own volition. So, yeah, somebody sabotaged them. And actually, uh, the person that broke it down the best on why he knew it came internally from inside Arizona State for how it broke down was Rick Neuheisel. uh, Oh, yeah. I didn't hear him. And I, 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 I... he is so so that's on campus you know it's like starts at what eight nine o'clock our our time nine o'clock yeah i think think. nine o'clock our time channel 84 sirius xm radio my brain's going off let me just do this real quick okay uh i know you're not a star wars fan right but have you heard am you are a star wars fan why would you say that i get always get confused on what you. i'm not i'm not a tracker okay but i'm a star wars okay well then you know jar jar banks unfortunately okay So do you know there's a bootleg version of The Phantom Menace where they have essentially taken out... I want to see that film. Okay. I would like to listen to On Campus where they Jar Jar Binks out... uh, uh, Chris. Chris Childers, so that I can only listen to Rick Neuheisel. Well, Neuheisel is fantastic, but he's incredible. But then Childers talks, and I'm like, I kind of want to change the channel now pretty much every single time. I... I've got so I've I want to get a way to get more Rick Neuheisel in my life because his takes are fantastic. But don't you think they play good against each other because he's always making fun of Chris? If I felt there was more of a payoff when Chris is literally talking out loud, but there's just not. So anyway, sometimes it's tough. Yeah. But anyways, Neuheisel broke down why it it came from the inside. It was incredible. I don't know if you can find. Oh, gosh, I'd love to find that. It was good. Um, And then. Now, here's, I believe, you know, as far as exactly the details and then what's going to happen now, this isn't the podcast to break it down. I would, I think it's just fair to say Arizona State since it's trouble. But here, here's the thing, right? Um, Arizona State is going to get the ax. Well, you, you, you do we know that? Well, there, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know about. I should, I probably am throwing around the term "axe" too much, but they're gonna get some hot water. Okay, okay, we'll see. But you, you don't think this stuff is happening in the SEC all the of time? Of course it is. Okay, I've got an actual list here of just some recent SEC things. You ready? Uh, let's hear it. Okay, a player was accused of domestic violence, harassing multiple women at his school. Uh, a head coach uh, allegedly had inappropriate relationships with co-eds in the athletic department as recent as 2013, never got fired, never came to light until 2016. In in this day and age, uh, former booster John Paul Funes recently pled guilty to stealing $550,000 from Our Lady of the Lake Foundation 
And according to court documents, $180,000 of that money was funneled to a individual C, which pretty much everybody knows is a former SEC lineman. Um, Will Wade was caught on a wiretap making a large offer direct to a recruit to recruit nine current or former members of a team had been accused of sexual, physical, or domestic abuse under a current coach that's right there. And a former NFL player passed out $100 bills immediately after the 2000 national championship. This is all from an S no, I take that back. That's all L S U. I was going to say this all, there seems like there's a theme here. All LSU. Right. Nothing has happened. Nothing. All LSU. Yeah. Odell Beckham was literally passing on, on camera. <laughs> Ed Orgeron is has been I, I mean, it took less miles getting fired from his job at LSU for performance. How, how easy was that? Right. And then he goes to camp. It doesn't come out with him getting in trouble until he goes to Kansas. All of the stuff that happened happened when he was at LSU. Right, but that's my point. The fa- him getting fired from Kansas, how easy was that? Right? Because of what he did before. At LSU. But they couldn't get him out at LSU. Unbelievable. I mean, you I mean, what? And by the way, thank you, Dustin Schutte. He gave me all those stats and data points right, right. there. I think he did a, a, a article on it not too long ago. Okay. So. That's just LSU. I'm just going to say it one last time. I was going to say, like, you kept going. I'm like, that sounds like LSU, 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 LSU. One or two of them, I'm like, I'm not sure who that is. Right. Yeah. Now factor in every other school in the SEC not named Vanderbilt. What would, come on, what would that list look like? And, you know, and it's like. But we saw what happened at Ole Miss. Dude, come on. I mean, again, you know. I mean, just if, if we just sat there and brainstormed, we could do an entire podcast. We saw of, the Cam of the Newtons. shit that L, of SEC schools. We know that they've done, and nothing's happened to Cam him. Newton. We know what he was offered at Mississippi State, so we know he got paid at least that much at Auburn. Come on, it's just obvious, and and that's where you know I understand if if Ohio State or any of these schools like we haven't really talked about probably purposely the stuff that went down at Michigan that was on the last couple of weeks. Right. Right. I, I, I think a big part of the reason is because I, every time I see something come out on a big 10 school and to a certain degree, a little bit of pac 12, big 12 or ACC school, when I hear something come out, I'm like, but it never comes out in the sec. Don't tell me that the same stuff's not happening in the SEC. I know. The media and the, you know, the the high and mighty ESPN that takes a a stance on so many, you know, social situations. Not on this stuff, no. No, not on this. No. And and half the stuff that I just talked about was sexual misconduct type of stuff. Well, and stealing from a church? (laughs) That's the lowest of low. (laughs) Exactly. That's like, you know, Dante's Inferno. It's like stealing candy from a kid. It's it's maybe worse somehow. Mercy. Oh. All right. Okay. Well, let's I, get into the interviews, that? man. All right. So that is going to uh, conclude the podcast for Kurt and I rumbling and bubbling and bambling about. But next will be, again, MSU's own Dougie Tutter. Right after that will be Jim in Minnesota for Nebraska. And then last but not least, Jordan Eggleston with Michigan. Again, we thank you so much, you three, for doing the interviews. I had a blast doing them, and we will talk to you soon. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm Big Kurt. And we will talk to you soon. All right.
All right. We are joined now by Dougie Tutter, our resident Michigan State fan. How are you doing today, Dougie? Great. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the podcast and taking some time to answer some questions, my man. Oh, no problem. I love the show. Love you guys. It's an honor. Hey, we're always looking for that every time, right? So always good to hear. <laughs> All right, so we got, we got five questions. If anybody listened to the interview that we did with our Gopher fan, uh, we'll follow pretty much the same format. Uh, so I'll fire away. The first one is a little bit longer question, which would probably make a little bit longer answer, which is fine. So basically, giving us your background, why are you a Michigan State fan? And what's your best memory of being a, a Spartan football fan? Well, I became a Michigan State fan kind of, um, it was midway through high school. I kind of moved around a lot as a kid. Uh, so when you started looking at colleges, you started making decisions. You know, I was grew up in Texas, so I was a Texas fan for the longest time. And then when it came time to start looking for colleges, you know, I started looking around and Michigan State was the place that kind of fit the best for me. Um, so I, I dove in headfirst to everything Michigan State for for, for now on forever. So that's where I'm kind of at with Michigan state. Um, it was kind of a bit of mid childhood thing, but I'm all in now. Um, and I would say my, my best memory is probably the 2013 Michigan game. Um, you sit there and you start watching Devin Gardner get sacked 11,000 times with the negative, <laughs> the negative 48 rushing yards. And he just kind of quits in the middle of the game. And it was just awesome. Um, I would say a one B answer would be, um, I'm sorry for this. Um, the 2015 big 10 title. Um, yeah. I was there, I was there. It was awesome. Um, the nine minute drive to end the game, to get the score after Bethard hit, uh, I can't remember his name for yeah, that long yeah. touch. Yep. yep. Once he, after he hit him for that long touchdown, everyone was kind of like, Oh crap, what are we going to do? Um, and then we came back with that long drive and it was just, it was a great, great atmosphere after with me and all my friends. That's fantastic for you. Um, I had a little bit, I was supposed to, <laughs> I was supposed to be there. My, my first kid was due literally any second then. Uh, so I wasn't able ah. to be there. And, uh, but you know what? It's always good to hear uh, a, a perspective on the other side. There's always a, a winner when there's a loser. So that's good. Yeah, um, that's true. So next question is, what do national writers, uh, commentators, podcasters, what do they get wrong the most about Michigan State? Well, to start off with our coaches' names, I mean, you start looking at all the different names Mark D'Antonio was called, Mark D'Antoni, all those different names, Mike D'Antoni. ESPN always throws up Michigan's logo for our logo. Um so maybe just like, first of all, knowing that we exist, I think that might be a good start. Um, <laughs> I think it's a little bit easier to remember Mel Tucker as Mark Dan instead of Mark D'Antonio. So we're getting a that's little a better. But, yeah, that's a good point. But I mean, just the, uh, I don't think they understand that when they say those kind of stuff and they get stuff about us wrong, it kind of just fuels the entire fire. Yes. Um, going back to Mark D'Antonio, the disrespect was always used in a way that was productive. Um, we took it, we put it up in the locker rooms and it was used as fuel for fire. People don't understand, like, you know, even going back to like Mike Hart, 
and his little brother comment that fueled probably the best run of Michigan State football. Just because, all right, you don't you don't know who we are. You want to treat us like that? All right, here here you go. We're gonna punch you in the mouth. So so kind, so kind of it's a double edged sword. It cut you guys, but you were able to take that same knife, turn it around, and stab Michigan Wolverines a few times yourself. So I I mean, no yeah. clearly you would take some of that stuff back if you had the chance. Uh, you know what? It is a double-edged sword because you know what? Would we like him to say stuff like that? No. Um, we want the respect of being, you know, a top 25 program all time in football. Um, we're top 25 all time wins. We're top 25 and all the other big things. We're just not them. So they think that they're better than us for some other things. So him saying that I get it. And it fueled our fire. Would we have liked him to say it? No. Would we want him to take it back? Probably not. It just works that way. Interesting how things kind of weave together like that. That's a that's a fantastic answer. All right. Um, third question is kind of starting to focus on the upcoming season. So, uh, you know, whether it be schedule, whether it be players, whatever, what excites you the most about the 2021 Michigan State Spartans? Um, I'd have to say the offense. The offense kind of excites me the most because of, you know, the transfers coming in. You know, we've, we've got Russo coming in as a transfer quarterback. Peyton Thorpe, of development coming in. So quarterback should be a lot better. Running back, we've brought in, I think, a guy that's going to be an absolute baller in Kenneth Walker from uh, Wake Forest. Harold Joyner from Auburn. Uh, and then I think a real underrated person, I think you guys have talked about uh, Horst is going to be an offensive lineman. So the offense is really starting to come together um, through the transfer portal, through guys like Ricky White and Jaden Reed having a year playing all together. I think the offense, you know, it's something I've thought for the past three years and I've gotten duped every year. It's the offense has got to be better, right? It can't be worse. And then every year it's been worse. So <laughs> this year I think is the year for the offense. Um, I think that's going to be something that, really drives this team forward. And I, that's what I'm excited for. No, that's a good answer. Um, um, obviously Mel Tucker has gotten, I, I feel like a lot of accolades for uh, uh, how aggressive he's been and how, how, lo- a lo- how many wins he's gotten in the transfer portal. I feel like he's been sort of unique in, Hey, if you don't want to uh, stay here, there's the door, uh, which happens almost every time there's a new coach. But what's new and good for somebody like Mel Tucker is that door goes both ways now where you can get somebody right back in. I think he's done as good a job as he can with managing the transfer portal, especially considering the situation he's in being new to Michigan State. Yeah, exactly. One of the things he said in a press conference this year, which really I think people didn't really, people kind of raised an eyebrow at was you compete to play, but you also compete to stay. Correct. Um, if you're not going to be all in, you're not going to buy in, you're not going to be a part of this system, then there's the door. Um, yep. So you you can go. And I think I, I think that even applies more to new coaches. Like they've got to know who's buying in right from the get go. So I, I totally understand that. Exactly. And then one of the last thing I'll say about all the transfer stuff with Michigan State is people talked about Chiano and how many transfers he brought in when he started at Rutgers, um, Mel Tucker's brought in more <laughs> this offseason than Chiano did. 
in the transfer portal. So, it, and you saw what it did for Rutgers and it kind of gave him a little bit of a boost. So we're, I'm not expecting Michigan state to be Rutgers of last year, kind of over exceeding expectations, but it's a start of a foundation and we expect it to grow that way. Awesome. And then one, I'm, I'm adding questions myself here. Just something I'm curious about. I understand yeah, you got no the problem. new transfer quarterback in. I actually was, was pretty impressed with Peyton Thorne last year, considering it wasn't the best spot that he got put in. Where do you think yeah. Michigan State fans are on the quarterback battle? Do they want the new guy or do they want Peyton Thorne? I honestly don't know. You could ask 10 different MSU fans and you'll get 50-50 split. Okay. It's, uh, the spring game, the spring game kind of provided a little bit of clarity, but it didn't provide an answer. Um, both guys kind of competed in that spring game similarly. Everything kind of looked seamless throughout both quarterbacks. One maybe looked a little bit different to a different person. So okay. we I really don't know. If I had to if I had to make a guess right now, I would guess Russo. And that's just because he's an older quarterback coming in. He didn't transfer here for no reason. Just kind of the, they brought him in for a reason. Um, okay. So that's my guess. Okay. Uh, that I get the bringing him in for a reason. Um, I would say the only thing, it, I think more, I'm more of a thorn guy myself because the amount of picks that Russo threw at his previous school, not fantastic. I, I have, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I would prefer Thorne just because he gives us a couple more years to build off of. Okay. But it, it is what it is. Okay. All right. Uh, and maybe that, to a certain degree, that folds into the next question pretty well, which is what most concerns you about the 2021 team? Um, I would say I have two answers for this. One is the quarterback for the reasons we just stated. There is no clear-cut guy. There is no dude that is going to walk into the room and start. Um, it's still a battle that's going on as far as I know. So that kind of concerns me. We're going into fall camp here in a few weeks, a few months, a month or so, and we've got no dude. Um, so that kind of concerns me. But what concerns me more is probably the defense. Um, you start losing guys like Anton Simmons, who is a, a stud on that linebacking core. And you saw what happened when he was out for a spell in that Iowa game, the defense just completely fell apart. So losing that guy for a full year, uh, not really looking forward to that. Um, I think we've brought in some transfers, uh, Quavarius Crouch from Tennessee to probably try to fill that void in that linebacking room. But the defense as a whole right now concerns me. And then just as a secondary concern would probably be tight end just because, you know, Outside of when Josiah Price left Michigan State, we haven't had a tight end that has done anything worthy of note, um, either as a blocker or a pass catcher. So tight end is a position that also concerns me. Interesting. Um, I guess just because it's burned into my head on how good Michigan State defenses always are, I don't feel like <laughs> – I. you know, it's just one of those deals. Like it, it's hang your hat on type of thing. And I, I feel like at worst the Michigan State defense will just be – mediocre which isn't bad for oh, basically being oh a hundred percent right like it, it's, if, it, we're gonna if, instead of being a top 20 defense we might be a top 50 defense but for michigan state fans we've got a level of expectations that we set for that defense and how good it's been so that kind of a slip is something that does concern me but yet 
let's say you're the 50th defense in the country. That's not bad. You know, that's not no, good, that's, but it's not bad. I don't think the deep, I don't, I'm not expecting the defense to fall into the bottom third of the country, but when you've set the expectation to be a top 25 defense and you're not, that that's what concerns me, especially because, you know, while I am happy and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for the offense, let's say the offense doesn't pull its part. Um, if the defense slips, we're, we're, in, we're in a load of trouble. Definitely. Um, and this is why it's an ultimate team sport. I just think to me, <laughs> I'm kind of interjecting here, but I want your opinion. Yeah. I feel like if there is one thing that you feel like you, you get accomplished by the end of the year, it's establishing that running attack. Like I feel like that is what has to get figured out year one in the Mel Tucker regime. And I know last year was year one. We're, we're literally calling that year zero year yeah. one now with quite a guy's few back, uh, quite a few guys back on the O line, some good options at running back. I just feel like you guys have got to get a rushing attack established. Yep, and that's why I am very hope. That's why I'm very high on Kenneth Walker and Harold Joyner and Jordan Simmons being back for another year and Elijah Collins. You know, people didn't really know that he had a very, very bad bout with COVID, and that's kind of why he was not a big part of the offense last year, was because it took him a few months to get over um, the, the COVID case that he had. Um, so there's a lot of positive things coming out with him right now that he's back to where he was. If it's true, great. Um, if it's not, we've got Kenneth Walker, we've got Harold Joyner, we've got Jordan Simmons. Uh, Horst should help the offensive line. They've got some more guys that have experience. So I think the running game is going to be very much improved and back to kind of where it was um, 2015, 2014, those kind of years. Fantastic. All right. That kind of folds into our last question here, which is, What's your prediction for the season? You can get as specific as you want. Generalities, go for it. Uh, specifically, I'm looking at anywhere. <laughs> it's, I have no idea. I'm going to be honest. I'm looking at anywhere between four wins and six wins. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, anything over that would be gravy. I'm just more so outside of wins and losses. I'm looking at are we competing in games? You know, last year we did win Michigan. We did win Northwestern, but we, when we didn't win, we kind of got blown out. I'm kind of looking at kind of this as a progression of, you know, the old adage of lose big, lose close, and that moving into win close, win big. And I think we need to take a step towards that lose close. So as long as we're not getting blown out in games, I think we'll be I'll I'll be happy with the season no matter what the win loss is. But if I had to put it down on paper right now, I would put four wins down as as, as a, a prediction for the season. All right, fair enough. Um, that gets us through the questions. You got anything else you want to add? Go green. All right, Dougie Tutter, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast and we will talk to you soon. All right, we are joined now with the number one Nebraska fan of the Eyes on Big podcast, the infamous Jim in Minnesota. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing great. Out here in Maui right now, enjoying a little relaxation here and looking at the beach. So it's all good, man. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah a little bit later uh, where we're at here, where you're at, obviously. So that worked out perfectly for us to record. But I really appreciate you taking 
15 minutes out of your time on vacation. I'm sure your wife is mostly even more appreciative that you're taking 15 minutes out of your time to record a college football podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. No, she was good. I told her, Hey, it's Jeff and we're going to do a podcast. And she's like, awesome. Love <laughs> Jeff. Your Twitter friends are amazing. <laughs> so, so here we are. <laughs> All right, man. Sounds good. All right. So same format we've had before. We'll jump right in. All right. So first one's kind of a two-part question. How did you become the Nebraska fan that you are? And then as best you can, try to wrap that into what's your best memory of being a, a Nebraska Cornhusker football fan? Yeah. So my mom actually is from Bellevue, Nebraska, which is uh, home to uh, Keegan Johnson, who's going to be playing for Iowa next year. It just kills me. Um, so, you know, growing up as a kid, we would go back for vacations. And, uh, you know, I think like every, you probably heard every story from, you know, every fan base, but it's all kind of the same uncles and grandpa and, and uh, aunts were all huge Nebraska fans. So from as an early age of probably five or six, I remember watching uh, bowl games with the family and, and seeing uh, Mike Rozier. I thought that was a funny last name to have a Z in his last name. So, uh, he was the first player I remember seeing, and um, it just kind of went from there. And it 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 uh, was kind of a thing where even in California, where I actually grew up in California, uh, the fandom for Nebraska was so big out there. They actually, they actually, the fans actually paid money to have the radio broadcast broadcast out in Los Angeles. So I was real lucky to be able to listen to the games even as a kid in California every Saturday. Um, you know, cleaning my room and, or doing whatever, listening to, uh, listening to, uh, Nebraska football. So they got going from there. And, uh, I think, you know, my, my greatest memory as a fan was definitely the 96 Fiesta Bowl. And I think, I think most Nebraskans will, will <laughs> pipe up and say that the 95 team was the best football team of all time. And I think the 96 Fiesta Bowl was, was definitely a culmination of a lot of things that I think Nebraska fans had frustration over. I mean, we had the six, bowl games in a row we lost Osborne can't win a bowl game you know we, we can't beat the Florida teams and um you know I think social media had existed back then would have been very very brutal to Nebraska I mean the media even then was was you know looked down at us you know this farm team you know the Florida teams are going to dominate you and it was always the same rhetoric it just drove me nuts and so even in 94 when we won against Miami that game, if you remember, if you saw that game, it was kind of a back and forth and it was kind of like the final whistle blew and it was like, whew, we won. You didn't know what to do. You know, it was like, we beat Miami. Oh my God. But in 95 or the 96 Fiesta Bowl game, um, even going into that game, you heard so much about Steve Spurrier. He was drawing a play the week before the game and Danny Werfel and they're going to blow out Nebraska. It was like the same thing. And, and so for that game, I think it was a you know the first quarter was a little back and forth, and then from then on the route was on, and it was just you know it was like two and a half hours of just letting all that frustration out, all that anger, all that just euphoria about um, just what we had heard so much from the media about Nebraska, and so to celebrate that we went out to Seventy Second and Dodge, which is kind of like a famous intersection in Omaha, and the fans were pouring out. I mean, it's January, it's freezing cold, right? I mean, we're out there in our t-shirts running around. I mean, it was just. It was awesome. And so I think that was for me, my, my favorite moments. Uh, again, we won it at 97, but didn't have the same feel as that 96 Fiesta Bowl team. It just was awesome. It was an awesome experience. That's awesome. Um, um, 
you know, being more of a Big Ten fan growing up and being a little younger, um, I didn't have really any kind of memory or knowledge of the Nebraska not getting the, uh, um, you know, respect, proper respect, maybe you could say from the media. So that I actually pr pretty much learned that from you. And uh, maybe that kind of folds right into our second question here pretty well, you know, forwarding to current day. What do national podcasters and commentators and writers, what do they get wrong the most with Nebraska? <laughs> Where do we start, right? You know, this is the question. I, I think as an Iowa fan, as an Iowa football player or ex-player yourself, I think there's some similarities here with, with Nebraska. I mean, we heard even in the 2015 season for Iowa, oh, the fake idea of college football from, from Colin Cowherd. This just overall lack of respect. I don't know if it's just looking down the nose mentality. I don't know if it's because it's the, the middle of, you know, middle of uh, the United States, the, the farmer mentality of, I don't know what it is, but it, I think you saw a lot of this come out last year um, when the season was canceled and Nebraska is one of the teams that was vocal about playing. And then all of a sudden you saw, you know, Desmond Howards, you saw the Dan Wilkins of the world, the, the uh, Pat forties just come out and just rip Nebraska for wanting to play football. I mean, these are guys that cover the sport of, of college football, the greatest sport on earth. And a team wants to play football and they were just lambasted. And it was just, you know, I, I guess it shouldn't be too shocking, but it, it was just more of the same of, you know, oh, it's Nebraska and they're nothing. Right. They're just what do they know? Right. So um, that's frustrating. I think that's as Nebraska fans, I think we're, we're kind of used to that, but it still doesn't make a lot of sense to us. So I think just the the mentality of, of looking down the nose and, and thinking that uh, we don't know what we're talking about, even though we haven't been relevant probably in the last four or five years on a, and on, on a football uh, performance standpoint, I think as a fan base, as a, as a university, as a football program, um, you know, I think we bring a lot to the table still. I think there's a lot of respect that should be given still based on our history, based on just the the overall um, collective mindset of just loving college football. I mean, just wanting to play the greatest sport on earth. Why, why is that such a big deal? And so that was, that was hard to, uh, to take, I think last year. Um, but again, as I mentioned before, that was, we've seen that before going back to the nineties when there was, I think it was one person, Jim Rome. If you remember Jim Rome, he was the one guy that, I mean, he loved Nebraska. He stood up for Nebraska. He, he was a one person on a national scale that was like, these guys, are damn good football players. This is a heck of a program. And he really was the one advocate out there that was really pumping the, uh, pumping the bandwagon uh, for us. But, you know, it's, it's been you few and far between. And it's, it's such a, it's a, it's a frustrating thing for us because it just didn't seem like we get much, much love out there for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know what exactly the catalyst for it is, but um, that's tough. Um, I think the the one thing going into this year, though, I think the national media has gotten it right, though. I think this is the first time we've seen, at least in my mind, where the national media perception and our perception as fans is probably the same. I think Nebraska mm -hmm. is looking at, we'll get this question here in a little bit, but I think, you know, looked at 2019. I mean, I don't know about you, but as Nebraska fans, when we predicted to win the West, we're like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> we won five games last year. We're not going to win the West next year, but there is this media, um, you know, I think the entire media picked Nebraska to win the West. And so uh, I think this year, or the 2021 season, I think you're going to see the expectations from the media and from our fans uh, are probably about the same. So I don't have a, too much of an issue with 
I think where the national riders are projecting us to be and kind of where performances could be next year. So we'll see how it plays out. Now, the only thing that's uh, interesting with that is uh, a lot of rival fan bases of Nebraska would say, wait, there were Nebraska fans not saying that they weren't going to win the division in 2019 because, you know, the, the Nebraska fans that are boisterous that they are going to do things like that, you know, seem to make the most noise on Twitter, but you know, that can be applied to almost any fan base. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for sharing a bunch of that stuff with the background. So why we kind of, you know, head towards the upcoming season, what excites you the most for the 2021 Nebraska Cornhuskers? You know, I think for, I think there's three things for me. I think it starts with the defense. I think this defense is kind of funny. When Frost got here and he had that famous quote of the defense's job is to get the ball back to the offense. And so, you know, and kind of, you know, kind of under the, uh, the radar a little bit, the defense has really got an identity now. They've, they've put together, um, I mean, some amazing progress now from last season or from uh, the 19th season to last year. And, and kind of quietly Chandler's been building this thing and he's been building this, this, uh, this culture and this mentality that uh, all of a sudden kind of arrived at the tail end of last year where, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot to be excited about. You have five uh, seniors who came back uh, for, for this next year, uh, Georgia Dolman being the, you know, probably the ringleader of that group. And um, you've got Cam Taylor Britt, Britt who's probably one of the best players in the big 10. Uh, coming back. So I think the defense and being able to actually um, feel good about something on this team as a Nebraska fan to say, at least I know that they'll play well, they'll play, you know, how they played last year. And so I think you start with that. I think you look at the schedule and there's opportunity for early momentum. You look at those first couple of games. I mean, Illinois is going to be a tough, a tough opener for sure. You guys have talked about that in your podcast. Um, But if they can find a way to, to get that win, and then be able to get some momentum with the uh, the Buffalo and the Fordham game, go into Oklahoma, you know, and give it everything you got. And then Michigan State to open up the season. I mean, you have an opportunity to be, you know, four or five wins um, out of the gate. And I think that's going to be really critical. I think that's going to be important. So I think it's there for them. Um, they got to get it right. They got to earn it and they got to make sure they get it down. Uh, I think the last thing is clean football. You know, I, there's a stat from Athens uh, magazine uh, Nebraska was one of, I think, so I, I just uh, want to be, I want to be clear. Yeah. These are the things you're excited about, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I think, I think there's opportunities there. I mean, look at Nebraska. I mean, I think they're the, the last three years they've had the, the highest number of uh, one loss or one score losses. Right. So we all know about that. So I think if you can play, you know, somewhat clean football and eliminate the mistakes that you can, you can probably win some more games there. So I think, you know, I think there's been a lot of emphasis put on that this offseason with special teams and and just the overall commitment to to being better at the small things. So I think that's there for them. And I think that I think they're going to improve in that area. So I would look at those three things as probably what I'm most excited about. All right. Uh, so that would uh, get us on to the uh, uh, second to last question. What are the things that concern you the most going into the season? <laughs> well, there's quite a few concerns. Obviously, there's a lot to be on, you know, I think flushed out in terms of the running back position and wide receivers and so forth. Um, but I think my number one concern is obviously Martinez, right? You know, we've seen him as a freshman. We've seen uh, him play 
uh, really well. We've looked at his uh, stats though since then, and it's obviously dropped off. So my question is, you know, who are we going to get this year? Are we going to get the Martinez we saw in 2018? Uh, are we going to get somebody that's going to be able to, uh, you know, identify the correct um, open receiver, you know, throw the deep ball, which we hadn't really seen too much from him. Um, so his play, and then what if he gets hurt? That's probably my biggest concern. I mean, yep. we think about, you know, uh, the season being, it's obviously a tough schedule, but the way we've run Martinez in the past, he's always gotten hurt. So what happens then? Do you have uh, a freshman come in and, uh, you know, uh, Harburg who looked great in the spring, but he's still a freshman, right? So I would have liked to have seen Nebraska get a transfer quarterback. They, they didn't, they felt good about who they had. Um, so we'll see what happens, but, you know, ultimately I think he's going to get hurt at some point. Maybe it's a play, maybe it's two, maybe it's a series, maybe it's two games. What happens then? What do they do? I mean, that's, I think that's gotta be a, a big concern. Yeah. They feel pretty does. good about. That's, that's the same th- stuff that we've kind of talked about before, uh, which is why I kind of keep harping on Twitter. And, you know, when we eventually break down Nebraska specifically, they have got to find, it doesn't have to be a quote unquote bell cow running back, but there has got to be one, two, maybe three running backs that they can rely on. The, the, the majority of the rushing attack yards has got to come from the running back room to take that pressure and injuries off of Adrian Martinez. You know, it's tough to say the whole season, but a large majority of Nebraska's successes to me is going to rest with that. 100% agree. Yeah. Well, um, so we got uh, the goals are to uh, play sound, solid defense, um, limit turnovers and have a sound rushing attack. It's almost like Scott Frost has worked his way through the Paul Christ and Kirk Ferentz coaching starter kit. Um, (laughs) The only thing the only thing he has yet to learn is to not give the media any side of your personality and comments so that they can't take little <sighs> quips and run. But we, we yeah. know that that's ongoing yeah. right now. We'll, we'll leave that one set for now. But uh, <laughs> anyways, I had to get a little bit of a, of a, of a jab in there. I hope you didn't mind. Um, no, no. I, I, I think we're taping on a Thursday, I believe. Yeah. And when yesterday he had the comments about the transfer portal and, and McCaffrey, I, I think he was leading to McCaffrey. So yeah, I, it's it's always fun with with, with with what he says and then how it's taken. So, all right. Uh, um, so then the last thing is kind of kind of wrapping it and pulling it all together is you know what's your prediction for the 2021 season? You can be as specific or or vague as you want. So I, I think you know me. I'm not a big prediction records guy um, for a lot of reasons. I think you know things can change so much with injuries and. And, uh, you know, weather and all of that kind of things, it kind of just, it's hard to tell, but I think overall, you look at this team and the schedule, obviously we guys talked about it is really hard. It's going to be tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's a season you don't want our schedule. You don't really want to see, you know, for a fourth year coach who's struggling, but it's, it is what it is. Right. So I think you can either look at four and eight or eight and four is the, the ceiling and the, uh, and the floor. There's five games in there that are toss up games. I think they can go either way. And so I mentioned before that, that, you know, getting some early momentum is going to be critical for them. Um, so I, I think if you look at that, uh, I would say that six and six is probably where I would settle in as my prediction or my record. I think that's got to be the expectation. I think that's got to be the, uh, you know, 
Nebraska fans don't want to hear it. That's got to be the goal for this year and to get to a bowl game. Um, feel good about how you're playing and then and get ready for the next season. I think that's kind of how I look at it. Um, but we'll see how that was those first, you know, four or five games go. I think that could, that could uh, be a uh, determination to see if they end up going potentially eight and four. I mean, I think it's, they're certainly talented enough. I think they have the, the players now. I think they have the, uh, they have the line both on defense and offense to, to be able to handle big 10 teams. And we'll see if the other things come together with the, the fundamentals and the penalties and everything else that's been kind of the Achilles heel for, for Scott Frost in the last three years. So um, we'll see how it plays out, but I, I think six and six is probably where I'd say they probably will finish. Phenomenal, man. You did a great job. Anything else you want to add? Mm. No, I, I think, um, I think Nebraska fans, it's going to be a little bit of a challenging year. I think you were going to be buckled up probably every Saturday, um, a little nerve wracking, but I think I'm excited to get back to college football. And hopefully uh, I heard uh, your previous podcast with, with Danimal. And I think I'm the same way. I'm so excited to be, to see fans in the stands again. And that feeling of a college football Saturday, um, you know, being at the spring game for Nebraska, we got to see a little bit of that. And it's amazing how much you realize what you miss when you don't have something. And, uh, and hopefully we get uh, some good news with the big 10 that they're going to allow um, the individual programs to determine what kind of fans attendance they want. And we can, we can see some full stadiums again. So I'm excited, man. Let's yeah. do this. I, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because when we did a spring recap, I meant to give props to Nebraska and Nebraska fans for darn near packing the stadium for the spring game and how awesome that looked. That was phenomenal. So thanks for bringing that up. So I could say that yeah. now. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to have jam packed stadiums as much as possible this fall. And, you know, if there is any jam packed stadium, it'll be in Lincoln. So, um, Hey man, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Jim in Minnesota and Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. We are joined now by our resident Michigan fan, Jordan Eggleston. Uh, Twitter handle at JW Eggleston seven Jordan. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing, man? Oh, I am spectacular. Happy to be here. Heard the first episode and I couldn't wait to get a hold of you guys say, Hey, if you need a Michigan guy, I'm your guy. I'm the one I'm not the crazy fanatic, but I'm the guy that to give you all the good scoop on the Wolverines. So hey, I'm man. happy to be here. We, uh, we feel like we're a little light in Wolverine fans. Um, you guys are a little mercurial to try to pin down uh, sometimes with this stuff, but great to have you on. And I, I would say you're a pretty big fan. I mean, you're basically sitting, I can see behind you, obviously our listeners can't, can't see it, but you, you got a nice little Michigan man cave going on there. Yeah. I got a little collection here. I got some more stuff. I got to get more wall space. I need a bigger man cave so I can <laughs> hang the rest of it up, but we got some stuff in here. My wife doesn't let it go much outside of here. So goals man we all gotta have yeah, goals like exactly, that. exactly exactly but anyways it's good to be with an actual you know michigan fan you're obviously a huge fan uh talking offline before we started here so i'm excited to see where you're gonna go with some of these questions so we'll jump right in first one is you know giving our listeners kind of an idea of who you are so you know how'd you become a michigan football fan uh what's one of your best memories being a fan go for it yeah, so I mean, it's it's pretty basic for me. I was born into it. When I when I was little, my dad always watched Michigan games when when it was Saturday, college football was on and the Michigan game was priority 
all the time. That's my earliest memories growing up is the Detroit Tigers and the Michigan Wolverines. So, I mean, I was born into it and then became a bigger fan as time went on, as I started to understand it. And being where I'm from, I'm kind of Southwest Michigan. So it's only about a two hour drive to Ann Arbor. I've been to plenty of games and some great moments, some terrible moments. Um, but that's part of being a fan and it's only made me a, love Michigan even more it's it's one of those few teams I don't think I could ever run from like you know there's some fandoms where you're like yeah you know I kind of like them but Michigan's in my blood I it affects my mood unfortunately at times but I think it does that for all of us that's why we're that's why we're here and that's uh, why we're here. I mean, we, we want to make sure we're plugging into people that, you know, uh, like we preach on the podcast a lot. We think us fans matter quite a bit. And the fact of the matter absolutely. is that Michigan football isn't Michigan football without fans like you, you know, and, yeah. and there's a lot of people that need to come together to uh, play in the, or to fill up the big house. And obviously Michigan does that pretty regularly. So. And um, I'm telling you, if you've never stepped in there, it, it really is your first time walking in there. You do get a chill down your spine because it is just that big. Actually, the first time I was in Michigan Stadium was when I was playing in Michigan Stadium, Same. and I remember I, looking up, and the press box looked like it was touching the clouds. I just miles away. Yeah, I've never seen you know being at the the field level like that and looking up. It's it it. I wish everybody could experience that because it's it's pretty darn. Yeah, darn it's, it's special. I did get to tour the locker room one time with a buddy of mine, so that was pretty cool. But. I think my my fondest memory, and I think the moment that really got me hooked. I mean, I was only like nine-ish years old in 97 when they won the national title, but I vaguely remember it. But for me in 2004, the Michigan-Michigan State game when Braylon Edwards went absolutely bananas in three overtimes and half the stadium left because Drew Stanton was just absolutely murdering us in every way possible. And then he got hurt, and all of a sudden the comeback happened, and then Braylon went crazy well so many people had left that we all got to move down like I was like four rows off the field ah. in the in the end zone where he caught the game winning touchdown and I'm telling you the stadium was half full it sounded like it was maximum capacity because it was so loud in there well at, the, at that point the real fans were left right Absolutely. The ones that actually uh -huh. make because I mean let's be honest Michigan Stadium as big as it is it gets a little bit of a bad rap for not it does necessary so Essentially, what you're proving right there is those people were gone. The real fans that stuck around were there. So, if I'm doing my math correctly, you were about high school age then. Yeah, when, when that yep. was going down. So I would have been a freshman in high school then. Okay, I mean you're hooked at that point. From no there. man, yeah. it was bad. No yeah, yep. it was bad. Yep, it was it was an addiction at that point. <laughs> hey man, we're all addicted. That's why we actually have the podcast, right? It's Big Ten Absolutely. football. Um, Absolutely. So. so you know, that, that it kind of folds into maybe it's more present day Michigan stuff and, you know, social media as one thing, but, you know, national podcasts, uh, national radio, what are you tired of hearing of as a Michigan fan? You know, what, what, what do they get wrong? You know, and I thought about this a lot because there's a lot of different narratives about Michigan football and there's a lot of different ways you could go with this. But for me, I struggle the most with like the Paul Feinbaums of the world where it's just Jim Harbaugh has been this absolute failure at Michigan. And I just think that that's so off base and it's so wrong. Has he not been as successful as what a lot of people have thought? Sure. But if you look at what he's truly done in the time he's been here, now take last year, that was such an admiration because of everything happening and it was awful. And there's no way to explain that. 
But if you look at everything else that he had, he has done in his time, he's won, he won more games in five years than the previous coaches did in seven. I mean, he won 10 games three times. He got the program at least back to where it was supposed to be, supposed to be at 10 wins. Now, obviously, you got the juggernaut down there in Ohio that we haven't been able to conquer. And I don't know how you're going to do that because they just got – they're rolling. But I just think it's, it's a little misguided to say that Jim Harbaugh has been a complete failure. And I hear it so much. It's because there you have the fanatics, like you talked about, that expected him to come in here and win seven titles and be Nick Saban when that was never going to happen. And it's never going to be like that at Michigan because we're in the North. It's not the trolls down there in the South that get away with murder. I mean, Hmm. big 10 country isn't like that. You can't pull the kids like they can down there, but he's gotten Michigan back to where they're competitive every year. And I think as a start and what he was brought in here to do, I think he's done exactly that. Now it's time to take that next step. It's time to beat Ohio. It's time to get to Indy. But I just think it's really super unfair to say that he has been a failure at Michigan, and I hear it so much. That, that is a very fair assessment. I, I would say that, you know, we call, we lovingly call Harbaugh khaki pants on the podcast. Hey, man, I got lots of khaki pants, fair khaki pants. I, I, I get them from Costco. I love them. So I, that's, hey. that's no bad thing for me. Um, so, we, I mean, I felt like we were, were able to point out the good things about Harbaugh for, for – quite a few years but kind of at the end of 2019 especially last year I feel like it's been a little bit different flavor of of dumpster fire uh or you know okay I didn't say that right I not to assume not to say that it was a dumpster fire before that like there there was drama you know like there's always drama with Harbaugh some of it that I don't think he deserved I felt like it's starting to get a little bit more deserved in the past year or so do you think I'm off base there as a non-Michigan fan or no, it's, it's fair because of 2020 and how bad last season looked. I mean, granted, it was a COVID year, so it's, it's screwy, but the team did look awful. I mean, they looked like they took 10 steps backwards. And then, like, 18 looked good. There was, there was signs of promise, and then 19 was kind of another step backwards. I get what you're saying there. I think the biggest problem and the biggest mistake that he made was not getting rid of Don Brown one year earlier. I think once Don Brown got torched and gave up 110 points in two years to Ohio state, that should have been enough. And it wasn't. And he's been, he's been loyal to a fault with his assistance a lot of times. And I think that's probably his biggest downfall. Loyalty is tough. Uh, You know, that it goes both ways. Unfortunately, I think you hit, you nailed it right there. And the fact that he, we had been calling for Don Brown's ouster on the pod for quite some time. I mean, you know, I'm not going to try to sit here and say that, you know, I'm some sort of, of, of X's and O's savant, but I feel like I know at least enough to say, get out of man coverage versus Ohio State and those receivers. I mean, I, you, you, you just, it wasn't going to work. Um, and the, the fact that Harbaugh just didn't make that decision, you know, with, with Don Brown sooner. With that being said, um, the, the decision was made. It, I have heard from different uh, Michigan sources that, this is viewed now with the new coordinators as a two-year run in that they're not necessarily expecting them to win 10, 11 games this year, but look good doing it this year and then get something special in 2022. Do you think that's kind of accurate? Yeah, that's, that's a lot of what I'm hearing. I mean, obviously it can't be, like you said, it can't be another dumpster fire. You've got to show progression. You've got to show that there's fire. You've got to show there's energy in the program and you've got to stay in those games. You've got to stay in the Penn state on the road. you got to stay in the Ohio state on the road. you got to stay in it at Wisconsin. 
because if it's if it is six and six, then I do think you're looking at a turnover. But eight and four, I think he's safe as long as it, like you said, it's progressing in the right way. Okay, fair enough. Last thing I would add, and I think this applies to you know almost anybody. You're 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 compared against Ohio State, and let's be honest, anybody not named Alabama and Clemson, if their only you know level of success is to be compared against Ohio State they also would be considered, you know, not living up to standards. I just, I do understand and find that unfair for you guys. Yeah. It's a nature of the beast, isn't it? All right. Um, Okay. So that kind of gets us on to the 2021 season. What excites you the most going into the year? So we kind of just touched on a little bit. I'm actually excited to see what this defense is. I mean, Mike McDonald comes in from the Ravens and he brings all this energy, everything you hear from the players talking right now and the recruits that are on campus is they love the energy that's in the building that, I mean, this staff is young. They didn't just get rid of Don Brown. They got rid of a ton of like all the old guys are gone. I think Ron Bellamy is the oldest, actually might be Clint Scale is the oldest guy at like 45 besides Harbaugh. So, I mean, they're young. There's energy. So, I'm, I'm excited for that. And like we just said, it was time for a change. And I think it can't hurt. <laughs> right. I mean, Michigan Real. has the talent. They always have the talent. So, they're going to be able to contend with and beat the lesser teams. It's can they now contend with and beat the upper level teams. And I think this step is at least a step in the right direction with it. So, I'm excited about the defense, but also a little hesitant. You never know. New changes always bring that out in you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I would say the change in voice and just zone blitzes. You know, I don't know his, his schemes, but my guess is you'll see some zone blitzes mixed in, which is going to help. Yeah, they'll be extremely multiple. I don't know how much NFL you watch, but I don't do a ton of it, but I did watch some Ravens stuff just to get an idea. It's a lot of different stuff. It's not going to be press man zero coverage all the time. They're they're going to mix it up. They're going to see different fronts. They're going to see different coverages. But a lot of what I've read, too, says that he just wants to let his athletes be athletes. And I think you have to do that in today's game with the offenses being as spread out as they are. Bingo, man. Um, So that's the positive side. Maybe a little bit dip into the what concerns you a little bit about the year. I think it's what's concerned every Michigan fan since Harbaugh's been there is do we have a quarterback? Crazy. I mean, you would think, and that's another thing, Harbaugh, you would, he's always had this reputation of being a quarterback whisperer, which I think is a little off base, but that's for another another day, but you have Cade McNamara who played a little bit and showed some upside. Still don't know if he's the guy that's going to do this. You have JJ McCarthy, who's the five-star, the new shiny Ferrari in the garage. Everything you're hearing is he's just not ready yet. And it's one of those things where do you throw him to the fire and maybe ruin him or do you throw him in there and he thrives from it? It's a, it's a tough give and take, but the piece of it that everybody keeps the, seems to keep overlooking is Alan Bowman. Um, he did some good things at Texas Tech. He wasn't special. He wasn't flashy. But, you know, Gaddis's office offense isn't about having a Patrick Mahomes who can sling it all over the yard. It's about can you make every throw? Can you just be accurate? Can you keep us on time? Can you keep us ahead of the chains? And Bowman might be the best guy to do that right now. So I'm very curious when he gets on campus to see can he step up and and take that QB one spot or is he just there to get a Michigan degree and head out? Hmm. And, and I, the thing that's interesting about that is, and kind of part of the reason why I brought up the, the, the quasi two-year plan, I'm not saying there's anything written in stone about that, but that does then play into the, the quarterback because 
if you are doing more of a we're building this year for next year, I think you want to go with a younger guy that you know is going to be there next year to grow and and take that step. It whoever wins the quarterback spot at Michigan, it's going to be an interesting situation for everybody to watch. And let me let me reiterate too. I don't think that if Cade or Bowman win the starting job, they won't be the quarterback at the Ohio State game. I fully believe that J.J. McCarthy will be the starter at some point this year. Wow. I just don't know if it will be right away. Everything I'm reading about this kid is he is special. It's just it's too fast for him right now. So I fully expect that he will be the starter by the end of the year. I really, really do. You heard it first from Jordan Eggleston (laughs) on on the Eyes on Big Podcast. I like the the ballsy call, man. Um, All right. So then, uh, yeah, uh, like I said, not going to put you to the screws on an exact record if you want to do an exact record, but what, do you, what are you thinking for the, the results for 2021? So without blindly going in and just throwing a number on the wall, I actually looked at the schedule and looked at home and aways, and I settled on somewhere 9-3, and 8-4. and four. I think 8-4 and four is probably the floor because I think the games that – the winnable games are very winnable – the losable games you're going to lose no matter what in this when we're at. And there's not that many toss-up games. There's not that many games where you're kind of scared going in. The only thing I really wrote down was Washington because it's so early, but that being at home, I feel pretty good about it. It'll be a good game. I think it's a pick them right now on most books. So it's a close game. Doesn't worry me too much. Going to Nebraska, it's just I don't. I don't believe in Scott Frost. I just really don't know if he's got anything out there. And then the other one I had that was kind of a scary game was Northwestern, just because, you know, Fitzy's going to Fitzy. I mean, that guy, they lost a ton. So in theory, they shouldn't be as good, but that guy always finds a way to just win nine games and piss everybody off while he's doing it. So I got nine and three, eight and four. I could, if 10 wins is like, the, the absolute max in my mind. And that's if everything clicks and JJ is the savior and all that's 10 wins, I think is the max. I don't see us going to Penn state winning. I don't see us going to Ohio state and winning Wisconsin's one that you could get if you play well and a quarterback is special, but I think eight wins is probably realistic. Nine wins would be good and tens the ceiling. I mean, I would say that is an extremely realistic point of view. Um, I've started to read through magazines and formulate, an idea of like who I like and don't like Michigan is in neither camp right now. They are, (laughs) they are an enigma wrapped in a riddle for me. Um, I feel like whenever we sit down to do the official podcast on predictions, that will just be where I settled on Michigan that day. I personally believe anybody that says they are pounding the table that Michigan is going to be this or that they're just BSing us. I don't think, I don't even know if khaki pants knows is the way I I think about it right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the good thing is they actually have all of spring ball. They actually have all of fall camp to figure it out. And, you know, Michigan was just destroyed by injuries last year. So you have to hope maybe they can stay healthy. They have, like I said, they have a lot of talent. It's never been a shortage of talent. It's been a, it's been a between the years kind of thing. Do you have the heart to go punch somebody in the mouth and win a game when it gets physical in Madison and you get smacked in the mouth? Do you, do you have that heart? Cause the last couple of years, they haven't had it, so we'll see. Fair enough, man. That was a great breakdown. Um, anything else you want to add? Hey, maybe one day I can make it over to the Downstairs Athletic Club. I've a little bit of a journey for this, but maybe one day if I'm over that way for a gopher game, we can make it happen. 
I tell you what, if you make it over to to the land of 10,000 lakes for Michigan-Minnesota game, you are 100% invited to the downstairs athletic club. It would be awesome. Sounds like a plan to me. I'm, I'm more of a scotch fan, so I'll probably bring my Johnny Walker with me. Oh, I got some scotch. I got some oh. scotch. You don't okay. have to worry about that. All right. Sounds good. Hey, man, this is awesome. Once again, this is Jordan Eggleston. Give him a follow on Twitter. This is Jeff the Greek. Really appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.